Why are you in youth ministry? My guest this week answers that question and more. Hi everyone, I'm Eric Jean-Baptiste and I'm your host for Youth Ministry and Mentorship 101 where we are on a journey together on how to educate, engage, and enlighten our youth and young adults better by learning from each other's experiences by just having conversations with one another. I mean, if we just listen and learn from one another, what great things we can do in each other's lives and in our own. So before we get into this episode, I just want to remind you to follow me on Instagram at youth underscore mentor 101. You can check out my link tree to find my Facebook page, my YouTube page, and of course, a link back to this podcast that you're probably listening to right now on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, We just want to remind you also that uh, right now there is a lot of racial tension going on around the world. uh, And I've been really proud of youth leaders all around the world who are stepping up, speaking out, but also not only speaking out, but making plans and strategies on how we can really affect change. One of those strategies is from the Black Adventist Youth Directors of the North American Division, also known as BETA. They have a strategy called PUSH, where PUSH is standing for, you know how it says, pray until something happens. Well, this PUSH is different because of the racial tension and how we are really seeing how institutional racism is still apparent and strong this push is for um the ability to protest understand your rights and to step up and be present and a cold account hold your yes hold your leaders accountable so uh, i like that strategy i'll be participating in it in any way i can and uh We'll just continue to highlight people who are really making a difference, hopefully on this podcast and wherever you can find me on my social media. And with that, I will talk about this week's episode. It is with Dr. Virginia Ward. She has an outstanding book about how to engage with youth and young adults. And she answers why she is in youth ministry and how this question inspired her to write the book so check out this episode right after the ad hey everybody i am with dr virginia ward uh, an author for the book it's personal five questions you should answer to give every kid hope how are you doing today I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate being here. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, let's just start off by asking if you could give a short bio of what led you to where you are now in ministry. Okay. Well, I have had a heart for youth ministry since I was a kid. My mother was a school teacher. Dad was a preacher. Used to help out in vacation Bible school. 
started out assisting my husband in youth ministry, but then he's like, you're really called to this. And so he left me in youth ministry and became a deacon of the church, ultimately became the pastor. And so I have been blessed to be trained by youth leaders locally and then nationally, and really dug my heels into this calling of helping the next generation to grow in their faith. And so I went from being a youth pastor at my church to directing some youth ministries locally on, on the local level and working with other churches, also worked with my denomination. And currently I am now the assistant dean of the Boston campus of Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And I teach classes in youth ministry and in leadership. I train for the DeVos Urban Leadership Initiative. I'm also one of the trainers for Orange, youth specialties. So anything that eats and drinks and bleeds youth ministry, especially for helping city or what we're calling now global city versus just urban, but in urban areas and global city areas, my call is to help equip youth leaders to be more effective in reaching the next generation. Wow, this is awesome. Uh, what I picked up from that bio is something I've been picking up with a lot of ministers is mm -hmm. usually the minister doesn't just say, hey, I think I'm supposed to be a youth minister. It's somebody else who will say, yes. you have been called to this and mm -hmm. uh, they pursue it. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it, it's interesting about that journey. So let's get right into this book. Uh, it's personal mm -hmm. questions you should know, you should answer to give every kid hope. Uh, yes. I wanted to start off by asking what inspired you and the other authors to write this book? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple of years ago, I was at a meeting with Reggie Joyner and Kirsten and some other orange folks. And Reggie turned to me and said, Virginia, why are you in youth ministry? Why do you do this? And I said, because it's personal. And it was like a holy hush just came across the room. It was like a Mufasa moment, you know, from like in the Lion King, Mufasa. Ooh. It was that kind of a, a moment. And he said, we need to talk more about that. And so as we kept talking, it became clear that this is a book and that they've actually adopted it into part of their core curriculum for the training of youth leaders. It's a basic read, but it, it's a really a deep read to help you to pause and to say, am I really getting personal with the youth that I'm ministering to and their families, or am I just staying in the shallow end? How deep am I really going? to know the basics of the people that we're ministering to and ministering with. And so that's how, that's the genesis of its personal. And so we share, each of us share some of our stories along the way in answering those five questions. It's modeled after the life of Zacchaeus and how Jesus encountered and treated and walked him through the five questions as it were. And so we believe it's a great tool for youth leaders to be able to use, regardless of what setting you're in, to begin to get personal with young people. And I, uh, something I picked up when I was reading the beginning of it is something that you mentioned there is that mm -hmm. we tend to be shallow with our yes. young people. Uh, could you explain why do you think older generations tend to like to be shallow with them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, shallow is easy. And the, actually, the book actually goes through the different steps as to why we tend to defer to shallow. It's very easy to be shallow. It's very easy to just kind of do the surface. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you, Eric. Yeah, you're good. God bless you. And kind of keep going. But deep takes time. Deep, you need to be vulnerable. Deep requires you to be very intentional about it as well and not just skim the surface. 
And in order to really do discipleship the way I believe we're called to do it in the way that Jesus did it, it requires us to take the plunge as it were and to go deeper and not just be satisfied going wide and being on the surface level, but being able to reach in and to really understand someone's context and really understand an individual and especially young people. It takes us to a space of empathy that going shallow won't take you. Awesome. So here's my other question. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think the book does go into it, but let me ask it anyway. To that local church elder or leader who is so comfortable being shallow, mm. what advice would you give them to just start, why they should stop being shallow, so shallow all the time? And mm -hmm. uh, what advice would you give them to start getting out of being shallow and going into the deep end. Mm -hmm. Well, I would first just start with the example with, again, with Jesus and Zacchaeus, that Jesus could have stayed shallow and been about his purpose. He was heading to Jerusalem. He could have just stayed on, I'm, I have a place to go. I'm on mission. I'm going to go die on the cross. I'm going to go save humanity. But he paused and said, this one life is important because this one life is connected to other lives and a, the whole community, his whole family, everything changed. So Jesus had to make a, a decision to make a sacrifice even before the ultimate sacrifice to pause and to connect with Zacchaeus. We have to do the same. We have to decide that every student is important, every life is important, and that those divine encounters that God brings to us requires us to pause and say, okay, God, what is your purpose in this? I know I was heading to do this, but what is your purpose for me at this time, at this moment? And we have to then lean into it and be willing to say, okay, God, I'm gonna surrender my plans. We have to literally have the Garden of Gethsemane moment. It's not my will, but your will be done. And to allow what his purposes are and to yield to the purposes of God. How do we do that? I think it has to begin with prayer. It has to begin with a yielding of our heart, a yielding of our will, and then opening our eyes to see God, who is around me that I need to be personal with? Who have I intentionally gone shallow with, but you're now inviting me in? And that's towards the end of the book, we talk about the invitation that you are now invited into the lives of others to not remain in the shallow, but to go deep with people. Wow, awesome. So I would encourage youth leaders to pray and say, okay, who are the, identify the people, but then as it were, take the plunge. It's kind of like, uh, if we're thinking of it in a swimming analogy, there are some people who go and test the water, they put their baby toe in and then they put their feet in and then they sit down and soak their legs. But then there are others who just kind of run towards the pool and jump in and go, wee, and just take the whole plunge. And I think for these kinds of relationships, it's gonna require us to take the plunge and be willing to, the water might be cold, uh, I might even belly flop, but it's okay. I am building this, I'm starting the building blocks of this relationship and God has connected me with this individual for a reason and we need to be sure that we're connecting in with God, with his purposes. Wow. Uh, I love how you mentioned a, a word that I've always mentioned on this podcast very mm -hmm. often and that word is intentional mm -hmm. and it's the fact that uh, youth leaders and elders, we need to recognize who needs to have a relationship with us. And 
just mm-hmm. as G- Zacchaeus is throughout the book. And mm-hmm. what happened is Zacchaeus is up in the tree just to look at Jesus. Yes. And Jesus calls him out of the tree and says, I'm going to your house to eat. Meaning yes. the leader recognizes the person and initiates the conversation. Is yes. Anything you want to add to that? or? Yes. Well, I think that Jesus could have, I mean, and this is part of uh, what Reggie talks about even is that Jesus could have had his disciple armor bearers around him saying, Jesus has no time for this. And Jesus could have said, I don't, again, I don't have time for this, but he pauses intentionally. Now, yes, he's all knowing. And yes, we get that. But Jesus also paused to say, I'm going to not just connect with any man, this man of ill repute, this man who has a reputation. So we're not just talking about any Christian. We're talking about, or any individual, we're talking about a tax collector. So rabbis and tax collectors, they just generally don't mix. So Jesus is not only making an intention to connect with a person, but a person who has some known issues, as we say. And to pause and to think that he willingly entered into a relationship with someone with issues. Leaders, sometimes we don't like to get our hands dirty. We, we want, we'll take the clean people, we'll take the clean fish and, and work with them, but knowingly enter into a relationship with that kid who maybe you know there's some issues going on at home or maybe they're walking around and you see that they're depressed, or you see maybe they're wrestling with their sexual identity, or you see that maybe they've, been, they've had some problems with the law or whatever issue. And we willingly enter in, I'm gonna get to know, I'm gonna get personal with that individual. It's a mindset shift versus saying, I'm gonna let somebody else deal with it or I'm gonna avoid it altogether. I think that, has a lot to say about us as leaders when we pause to say, I'm going to deal with the messy. I know it's going to be messy, but I'm going to enter into this with the hope that God and the Holy Spirit will help us clean this individual, or it shouldn't say this clean, but help the situation to become more enlightened because we've invited God into the space. So now that um, hopefully we've inspired that leader who was hesitant to go into deep end, what are these five questions that we should mm-hmm. um, answer? What are these five questions, and why are these are why are these the questions that we should use? Mm-hmm. Well, we believe that these uh, these questions they're so basic. So if we start like with the first question, do you know my name? So when you meet someone, and if they don't remember your name or they mispronounce your name, how does that make you feel? It's like, what does that do? And think about it with young people. An adult remembers their name. They're like, oh, wow. And I remember I had a a young person in my youth group. She had a difficult name. And I had to be intentional about learning how to pronounce her name. And I thought I had it right. And then one time in youth group, I called out her name. And she said, that's not how you pronounce my name. So I stopped right there and said, "Okay, teach me. And so I had to do word association to make sure that I had her name right. It was so important for her that she stopped the lesson to make sure I pronounced her name right. You can bet I made sure I pronounced her name correct from then going forward. And when I see her outside of church and I call her name, she just smiles like, you pay attention. You got it. You care about me enough to at least get my name right. So I think 
starting with that basic question, do you know a young person's name? And then given in the, the global space we're living in now, names have meaning. So sometimes when you ask a young person what their name is, the easy follow-up can be, what does your name mean? And they'll tell you, well, this means I'm the second girl born on a Tuesday or I'm named after my great grandmother, or I was God's gift or something. So in the day and time we're living in, names carry a lot of meaning. And so you can learn a lot about a person and even them just, even by them just telling you the story behind their name. It's so cool. Yeah, wow, wow. So after you get to know their name, what, what, what next one are we going on to? <laughs> so once you know their name, we get to move to a space where you really begin to understand what matters to them. And so once you get to know someone's name, then you begin to say, okay, my name is, so if I were to ask you your name, and you tell me your name. So we're gonna role play a little bit. All right. So hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Virginia. I'm one of the youth pastors here, or Pastor Virginia, depending on your context. What's your name? My name is Eric. Eric. Hi, Eric. How are you today? I'm doing all right, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. So did you have school today? Yes, I did. You did, okay. Yeah, can, well. can you tell me a little bit about your favorite subject at school? Oh, my favorite subject is definitely history. I love learning about what happened in the past. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Now I'm going to pause right here. So I just switched it from the general of, okay, now I know your name. Now I'm in this funnel. I'm coming down a little bit closer. I'm asking you what matters to you. And I kept it safe. Did you go to school today? And yes. Okay. What's your favorite subject in school? So I'm asking you something that while you're going to give me a close-ended answer to a degree of history, it now gives me permission to drill even deeper with that question. So whereas close-ended questions of yes, no, maybe so, if I ask more of an open-ended question about what matters to you, now your ears are beginning to go, what are you wondering at this point? Let me not put the words in your mouth. What are you wondering when I ask you, what's your favorite subject? this person is interested in what I like. Mm -hmm. And you also want to know why. Yes. Right? Because a yes. little bit might still be a little bit of mistrust going on here. So we drill down a little bit further into the next question of, so Eric, tell me where do you live? Oh, I live in Berrien Springs, Michigan. Ah, were you born there? Oh, no. No, I, okay. <laughs> I was born in Worcester, Massachusetts. Ah, Worcester, Massachusetts, yeah. So then I would say, so tell me a little bit of the journey from where you were born to where you live now. And you, it would give you an opportunity to tell me whether or not you like your city and your town, what you like about it, uh, what brought you there, your family or school or whatever. So now we're drilling down. So we're starting to get even more and more personal, but it also gives you the opportunity, if you wanted to, to ask me where I'm from. Ah. So it's not just a one-sided personal thing where I'm getting all of your information. You also get to reciprocate and ask me. So it doesn't feel like it's one-sided. Okay. Okay. That makes sense? That makes perfect sense. Yes, I'm getting it. So as we keep drilling down, then we move into the next space and I'll say, so Eric, tell me a little bit about your journey, like your 
your journey, either if, if I know you're a Christian or if I'm not sure you're a Christian, I might just say, just tell me a little bit about your journey thus far. Not necessarily from the context of where you live, but tell me about some of the, your favorite things that you've done. Uh, are we role-playing right now? <laughs> <laughs> we can, but we don't have to. It's, it's uh, your option. Oh, no, it's all right. Uh, well, for, yeah, for my journey, I was, yeah, born in Worcester, Massachusetts, but I came out here for school mm -hmm. and to really delve into youth ministry because that's my passion. There's a, a place called the Center for Youth Evangelism, just mm. uh, less than a mile away from my apartment. Wow. Yeah. Um, and that's part of my journey. That's why I'm here. And that's why I love podcasting and talking to youth experts and youth ministers about this field. So, yeah. Nice. 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 So I would start with obvious, shouldn't say obviously, but as I start with the favorite things of, tell me what are some of the favorite things you've done, depending on where the trust level is at this point, when we get to what you've done. Some young people at this point may not start with some of the favorite. They might start with some of the painful things mm. that they've done. So now, because you've trusted me with your name, where you live, you tr you've trusted me with some of the things um, of what matters to you, and then we start moving into the place of what you've done. Some young people might say, well, you know, I have a record. Or, you know, I've run away from home a few times. Or, you know, I don't do very well in school. So sometimes what they've done isn't a positive thing, but at this space, they're beginning to peel back even more and more of the mask. And the question is, will you still accept me? Will you still receive me? As Zacchaeus, Jesus knew that he was a tax collector. He had wronged so many people and taken money. And at this point, Jesus is like, I know who you are. I'm still going to your house. Mm. And at this point, Zacchaeus is like, okay, I'm gonna restore. I'm gonna restore what I've taken from people. I, Jesus didn't even have to guilt him out as it were. And at this place, once we get to the space where we're building relationships and we're getting personal with people and they begin to trust us with their scars, it allows us the opportunity or allows them the opportunity to say, I'm accepted and I'm received. And you can see the good, the bad and the ugly of me but not judge me and still God cares for you as well. That's the message that we're communicating, that you're still loved, you're still accepted, no matter what you've done. So my follow-up question to that is, as you said that it becomes a, not just a one-sided conversation, it's a two-sided mm -hmm. conversation. So as this young person is starting to trust us and give their peel back, you know, the mask and show their vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, how much do we expose? Because mm -hmm. a lot of elders and leaders, we are trained to hide our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, and our mistakes, right. because we right. want to show this face to the church. Right. So how much trust does go both ways. So what would yes. you say to that leader who's afraid to be vulnerable? Mm -hmm. Well, great question. I would say that we do have to walk a fine line of TMI, too much information. You have to, this is a, a space where literally prayer has to come into play. And you have to keep in mind that there are appropriate stories to share and appropriate stories not to share. 
So at this space, though, we do need to be vulnerable. We do need to be authentic. We do need to be real and say, you know what? I feel you on that one. You know, I, I struggled in school as well. I grew up and I didn't read very well, but I had teachers that helped me to learn to read. I, I wasn't an A, an honor roll student. I was one of those, I wasn't the, uh, the student that crossed the stage with the cum laude. I was the student that said, thank you, Lord, getting across the stage. So whatever it is that we're able to share with that student so they can see we're not perfect, God has helped us. And so we have to be mindful, but neither do you want to overshare. So it's like the student shares a story and you share five stories and the student shares. It's, it's keeping the balance of you want the student to see that you're real. At the same token, keeping in mind that it's still about them. It's not about you at this space. Because I do know some youth leaders that they'll, a youth will share one thing and then the, young, then the youth leader will share 10 stories and the young person sitting there going, I thought this was about me. Mm. And it's like, yes, it is about you. So we need to just keep that in mind and to allow them to still see that, hey, I'm walking alongside you. I'm walking with you. And so I have also endured some pains and some sorrows as well. And Jesus helped me, he can help you too. That needs to be the point of it. So it's not about really giving them a lot of information, but it's about showing and mirroring the fact that you're imperfect as well and you are in need of a savior as well so that they can see that you're a real person and not just some robot or something like that. Yes. Correct? Yes, yes. Sorry, it's getting loud here. I'm, I'm no in the city, so. <laughs> no problem, no problem. Let me let this pass. Okay, so it's, it's also, whoop, I'm sorry. It's right outside my window here. So it's also about the student story. So yes, the student story in relationship with Christ, the fact that he at Christ identified with our pains and our sorrows, can we also identify with their pains and their sorrows. Yes, very much about the student. Awesome. So after we've really had this strong conversation with this um, person, we've gone through the questions and now they trust us with their stories. What, have you seen the results of this kind of relationship, this personal relationship? What kind of impact did it have? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Especially when we go to get to the last space and we're asking the student, do you know what I can do? We're looking in their potential and we're now inviting them into a space. So I have spiritual sons and daughters all over the United States, locally here in the city that are now grown with their kids. To me, the best, and that's the best fruit, is that now I see them discipling others. And they're not only bringing their personal families, one of them is a church planter. And he's raised up a church and he taught his staff and his leaders. He's teaching them the way in youth ministry and how to get personal and how to walk alongside people. The way we taught him, he's now doing it. Even in the lives of our own family members and other youth and youth ministry, young adults that they leave for whatever reason. And then you see them come back and they're like, I'm teaching my kid what you taught me. And it's that to me is the fruit is to see it continue on amongst the generations so that they, they still remember the, I remember this conversation. I remember this conversation. They may not remember the sermons that were preached. They may not remember the big events, but they remember those one-on-one -on -one conversations either after youth group or 
during during uh, snack time or hanging out after church, or they remember some of the one-on-one -on -one interactions more so than the large group. They remember the adult that cared for them. They remember that you got personal with me and now I know I matter. And because I know I matter, I know I can matter to others and help others to know that they matter as well. Wow, awesome. So in the context of it being personal, would you suggest this method for people who want to be mentors in the church or is this mm -hmm. just for anybody in the church to use? I definitely think it's for mentors in the church, whether they're in youth ministry, whether they're discipling on any level, we need to move again, move past the shallow and get to the place of deep. I think that's part of why the church is hurting in the discipleship efforts because we, we are too shallow. We haven't gotten to the place where we really know people. Some of us go to church with people and have gone to church with them for five, 10 years. You don't know where they live. Mm. You might know the car they drive and see the difference in that when they, and when they get a new car, but we've never been to their house. Uh, don't know what they can do. How many of us go to church with people and we have no idea what their vocation is? We haven't gone deep. And as a result, it's hard to join in a spiritual mission because some of the foundation stones that we need to build in the natural aren't there. Wow, wow. So this is definitely a book I would suggest for anyone who wants to be a mentor in the church. It's uh, really powerful in starting those conversations and helping us be better listeners. One other question I do want to ask you is, has mentorship affected you personally as a mentee? Do you mm -hmm. have mentors? Yes, I do. I, I have been blessed from when I first became, a, even from when I first became a Christian, to have mentors in my life. I remember when I first became a Christian, I grew up in a church while we went to church and I was in the choir and on the usher board, all that wonderful stuff. I didn't have a personal relationship with Christ, so I didn't read my Bible, pray every day so I could grow, grow, grow. I didn't do that. When I became a Christian, I had people who came alongside me and taught me the basics. And they didn't laugh at me, they laughed with me. And they helped me to grow in my faith, helped me to get my first Bible and helped me to teach me how to read it and then how to live as a Christian, as a Christian woman also, and then as a wife. So I've had mentors for different things, some for youth ministry, some for my own personal development. I've had mentors for learning to be a wife and a mother. I was in a mother's group. And now I have still have mentors that are teaching me different skill sets for training, different skill sets for even learning how to be a good mentor coach for other people. So I'm still learning. I think we all need mentors. And I, I think it's more than just one person because I think each mentor brings something different to the table. And we need to learn from those mentors or in Old Testament time, they would call them rabbis and they taught you and disciples, they taught you different principles. So yes, I still have them in my life, ages and different ages and stages. They're not all old people. Some of them, young people are teaching me, they're mentoring me through technology. <laughs> they're mentoring me on different things of youth culture. Well, I'm not 25 anymore. So they can teach me different things. So I think if we're open to mentors of different cultures, of different ages and from different spaces in life, we can really learn and grow and flourish. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, Reverend Virginia, for being on the podcast and really enlightening us, especially about this book. I suggest anyone 
to anyone who listens to this podcast to get it. It's uh, the title is once again, it's personal. Five questions you should answer to give every kid hope. Now, as I usually do to end my podcast, I give it over to the guests to give some words of encouragement to just finally say once again, inspire some leaders and elders and pastors to get out of the shallow and to uh, get first. Well, thank you, Eric. I want to thank you again for inviting me and having me on this podcast. I want to invite all leaders out of the shallow end into the deep of its personal. That things change when it's someone you know. Follow, let's follow Jesus's example and let's reach generations for Christ so that we can turn our world right side up. 